everyone. I'm Deputy Editor Lorraine Lawson, and welcome to The Buzz from Bank Automation News, where we explore how automation and emerging technology is transforming the banking industry. This is our weekly wrap for what's happening in the industry this week. And before beginning, I'd like to give a big thanks to band sponsor and advertiser Volante. Thank you so much for your support. I'm pleased to be joined by Associate Editors Aaron Marsh and Elijah Poindexter. It is December 17th, 2021, and here are the biggest news items from our editorial team this past week. Distributed ledger technology has been in the banking news in a big way, with the latest being new news that IBM and HSBC completed wholesale CBDC transactions on distributed ledger. The Canadian prepaid market is expected to reach $6.77 billion in loans by the end of this year. That's nearly a 100% increase, according to a recent study. Uh, And ML, machine learning and automation, drive efficiencies in anti-financial crime efforts. We'll look at that. Uh, First on the distributed ledger technology, Aaron and Elijah, it was like Oprah gave out distributed ledger technology this week. Uh, IBM first came out with a report recently that they had done a successful uh, test at the behest of a central bank Francis Central Bank, uh, and that included successfully conducting an end-to-end transaction life cycle, which covered central bank digital currencies, minting, and allocation. They also successfully tested e-bonds, delivery versus payment settlements across primary issuance and secondary trading and coupon payments. And finally, foreign exchange pricing and payments versus payments settlements. They weren't the only one to do a foreign exchange settlement this week, um, again, HSBC, along with Wells Fargo, completed, completed a uh, payment versus payment settlement. That's basically where one bank says, okay, we have all these euros and we need to get dollars. And another bank says, well, we have all these dollars, we need to get euros. And they do a big, I mean, these are big money transfers um, to sort of settle the difference between them. And traditionally those happen in two systems and they would have to get on the phone and work out any kind of issues that came up. In this case, thanks to distributed ledger technology, they can kind of agree to the rules by which things will be settled. And that's done through um, a contract, a smart contract, or in the case of the Wells Fargo HSBC, something very like one called a Batten rule book. Um, and then they settle it automatically without having to get on the phone and open all these spreadsheets. So, That was another big announcement. And this, of course, came on the hills that um, State Street last week, their digital ledger announcement where they had settled uh, another foreign exchange uh, deal related to foreign exchange. Um, I think that had to do with micropayments or not micropayments, but um, I can't. Let's see, they they tested live trade, live trade, sorry, yes. Sorry, go ahead. Sorry, I was going to mention, though, um, when we're talking about CBDC, central bank digital currencies, I have heard, and and probably Elijah and and you have heard also, um, that every government, like literally every government around the globe is looking at how to make this work. And, you know, when you're talking about who's going to, you know, it's it's like the who and the how needs to be defined, you know, who's how is this going to be handled and, you know, and how are you going to automate the whole process and make it happen in real time? So I think what you're starting to see is the answer to some of that question. It's like, well, I, it doesn't surprise me to see some of these key players involved. Well, there are central 
fake digital currencies already in existence, and there are lots of experiments with them. This is part of the experiment about how they would work in banking. So it's not so much an experiment to see, can we create these? Can we work internally? But to see, can we use CBDCs and interchange them with each other across multiple distributed ledgers? That's what the IBM play was. Um, they it involved more than one distributed ledger and sort of, you know, exchanging central bank digital currency across those ledgers. So there, what we're getting at is sort of like, okay, we know we can do digital currency. Can we use it in the same way we use currency currently? Can we do some of the same trades? Yeah. So that was, it's been an interesting week. I think we'll continue to see it automates uh, in, a, in a very specific way. It automates out an entire function really. Of, of trying to settle these uh, discrepancies in currency. So, you know, people no longer have to get on the phone and dicker over who's paying who, how much. It's just done through the contract. It's, it's to me, fascinating. Um, but this week, we also saw in Canada news that prepaid cards, correct? Are yes, huge. prepaid. So can you tell us what, what that means to Canada? What's the significance of that news? So the first thing I'll preface this with, with is by stating that when people see prepaid, you know, it's kind of inverse. So Canada, they have this big prepaid boom. But as I mentioned in the article, and as I'll talk about right now, their innovations rail for payments lag behind uh, the rest of North America, specifically, um, specifically the United States. But how it works on the inverse is that, well, America hasn't really had this big prepaid boom yet. They've had the innovation rail come from the innovators themselves. It hasn't been delivered on any type of rail or any type of uh, pipeline. Uh, so it kind of works in the inverse, but we do have a higher level of innovation. What this matter, you know, the reason why this matters so much for Canada is because, again, as I just said, this is the main innovations rail. COVID-19, the pandemic, really accelerated uh, the growth of prepaid. And when I say prepaid, I don't just mean gift cards. That's something that when I spoke to the people at CBPO, uh, and Itana Baraka, they were quick to uh, quick to uh, quick to delineate for me. Prepaid is everything from payroll, uh, insurance payouts to business to business, business to government. Uh, prepaid access to wages, prepaid access to healthcare, prepaid access to and to you know corporate expense accounts and B to G, as well as uh, government to uh, government to citizen. Uh, it, it's huge. And the pandemic really accelerated this. It saw a one, the prepaid market saw a 100% increase nearly, very, very close to 100% between 2019 and the end of 2021. Um, and this is, I mean, this is such a stark and uh, exciting, honestly, opportunity for uh, Canadian consumers because everything we have in America, you know, buy now, pay later, gig economy solutions for getting food delivered or getting a ride somewhere. Uh, you know, instant access to your wages, getting paid a day to, to a week before, if not getting your wages paid on a daily basis. They didn't have that in Canada yet. But the growth of this prepaid market, the boom, so to speak, has really accelerated the innovations there. And it's kind of putting them on a level playing field with both their uh, actual neighbors and their global peers in terms of GDP and economy and uh you know, economic makeup and stuff like that. So this is super exciting because I, I feel like, and I think the research reflects this, is that soon you'll see Canadian, a lot of Canadian fintech start to arise. A lot of Canadian, uh, you know, providers start to arise. It's not going to be so centric on the UK and Europe and America. Uh, and prepaid is really the market for this. And, and I think it also 
provides opportunities for America to learn as well, uh, for the United States to learn, because we are missing a lot of these prepaid opportunities. A, a lot of people are still receiving their checks every two weeks, you know, biweekly or, or, or you know, how weekly, however they receive it. But COVID-19 and the pandemic has accelerated and maybe, you know, part-time or retail or food service, uh, the growth of getting paid daily. And part of that is prepaid, but we still haven't seen that in these other industries. Uh, but maybe the United States can learn from Canada and vice versa. So this is just an incredible, uh, in- incredible change and incredible growth in the market in Canada. Uh, and I think it bodes well for their fintech and financial services uh, innovation moving forward. And I think everybody can learn a lesson from it uh, as well. Aaron, you've done some coverage with uh, the idea of prepaying or, or paying ahead of two week schedule income, right? Like or salary rather. Um, I think that's a fascinating trend to, to look at how we can pay people faster. I know I'm going to sound really old here, but when I started in freelancing, you know, it could be, it could be one month or it could be three months before I got paid. So I know that's huge for the gig economy to look at uh, being able to get paid sooner and maybe on a more regular basis. Mm-hmm. That was definitely something that came up. You know, we did a recent look at the, you know, these micro businesses, freelancers, gig workers, like, um, you know, the example that comes up all the time is, is Uber drivers. Um, and really what you're talking about in, in so many of these cases is just access to money, access to getting, you know, paid. And, and that may be like if I'm an Uber driver that I can very seamlessly, you know, in one app, it, you know, once, I'm, once I'm, I have all my information in there that I need. I can, you know, I can take customers, I can drive them and, and navigate to where I need to go. And at the end of that, I can, boom, accept payment and be paid instantly and be able to use those funds instantly, not have to wait for that to clear or anything like that. So you're looking at uh, just a major innovation in, in people like sort of being able to be paid in the moment. And sometimes that's really critical access for somebody. Yeah. So Aaron, you also did some reporting this week on an interesting topic, which is how machine learning and automation are helping to fight financial crimes like fraud and money laundering. And you found there's still room for improvement and had some recommendations. Can you talk a little bit about those? Well, absolutely. I, um, and, and let me just sort of preface the discussion. You know, this is this is an area that I have loved to cover because it was, um, and this actually shows up in this article, it was in September at the Association of Certified uh, Anti-Money Laundering Specialist Conference in Las Vegas. And, and I'm going to call him out here because I was listening. I hope he's listening. It was Andrew Davies at Pfizer. He's basically talking about anti-money laundering efforts. And all you need to know is that they are less than 1% effective. The net that's out there at, at stopping these crimes you know, from happening is, is actually probably much less than 1%. But he called it absolutely appalling that that is the success rate. Okay, so you have that. So anti-money laundering efforts aren't particularly effective at all. And online transacting and digital banking has been increasing, um, you know, by a lot. And along with that has come online fraud. So we've seen, uh, you know, hearing from these companies involved in this, that they have seen an uptick in online fraud and that this is going on. So again, you've got this area where, um, the good guys are not particularly effective and there's a lot that stands to uh, be improved. And so I, you know, so I spoke with um, Linear Financial Technologies and Kaufman Rawson, 
about this. And, and Kaufman's a consultancy. They actually deal with banks, financial institutions. They get in there and, and improve their anti-fraud, anti-money laundering systems. Um, you know, so they improve efficiencies. And Linear has actually just launched a like an all-inclusive anti-fraud platform platform called um, Linear Defense. So, you know, we're, we're looking at how to improve this. And the problem, right, you know, apparently with this is that many of these systems are, uh, they're called like rules-based systems. And the issue there is that you're, you're constantly reactive and following. So you, you've got like instances of money laundering, you've got instances of fraud, and it's like you have to program the system to look for those kinds of instances. You're looking at what has already happened. Um, and, you know, so it's, it's, but the criminals are changing what they're doing. So they're, they're like constantly several steps ahead and these systems, um, they tend to also need like a critical mass of, um, of fraud. Do they actually spot it and start reporting it? And they tend to also produce um, this like wide net of red flags and alerts um, that then banks and financial institutions have to weed through. And it's, a, it's an extremely tedious process to actually then you've got to do things like look at the, you know, the parties involved in a transaction that's you know, potentially red flag. Right. So you've got the, you know, the payer and the recipient. Um, so you might have to do like additional research looking for information on the on these parties involved. And you've got to do that for each and every one of these situations that got red flag. It's extremely onerous. It's extremely tedious. And it's absorbing of all those resources. Um, so, you know, it's uh, Kaufman Ross. And, you know, I heard it's like, well, we can automate some of that. We can automate some of these tasks that are like redundant and, and handle that so that your bank personnel um, your, your anti-fraud personnel, anti-money laundering personnel don't have to get bogged down with that. But most importantly, too, we're, we're talking about machine learning. Uh, we're talking about automation that learns. Now, instead of looking broadly at like a category of businesses, say like businesses up to you know, a certain size of revenue or something like that, like a broad categorization of businesses, what they're doing is they're really slicing out much more narrowly. Um, for example, um, something like like pizza, um, you know, pizza parlors with like, five, you know, five to 10 locations. OK, so now you can take like a much more minute, narrow view. And there and the uh, these systems are looking for behaviors, abnormal behaviors that are just sort of outside the norm. Anything that's an aberrant behavior. Um, and, and now we're going to so we're going to fine tune those red flags quite a bit more. So it's like. Here you've got a situation where there's an awful lot that stands to be gained. There's a, there's a big room for improvement and um, machine learning and automation seems to be key here in, get, in, in achieving the, those gains. Yeah, one of the things that machine learning technology does really well is pattern recognition. And, it, and that's been known for some time. I remember it's probably been it's probably been 10 years ago that I was able to uh, have a demo of a system that was sold to law enforcement, but it could recognize from cell phone patterns who you called, who called you, whether or not you were involved in a drug ring with high accuracy. So I think it's more, it's not so much that the technology isn't there, it's more that the maybe the cost is prohibitive, maybe the data sets aren't there. I, I don't really know what's holding it back. I will say that I have talked to bankers who, um, have done machine learning and implemented systems like you're talking about 
they do reduce false positives, which is a huge savings over manual um, efforts that reduces manual efforts to dig in, like you said. But he also, uh, they are also cautious about still using the rules-based. And a lot of people think that the best solution might be to have both. The rules-based system still there, but the machine learning to sort of rule out, hey, you know, it's over, it's giving you false positive, and these are the false positives. So it's definitely an interesting um, technology trend to watch and see as it gets adopted by banks. Okay, guys, I think that's enough for today. We've covered it pretty well. Um, let's talk about what's ahead for next week. Aaron, you want to go first? Yeah, you know, I think it's, it's toward the end of the year, it's kind of been what can we fit in? Um, you know, there's, there's been a lot that's sort of come down the pipelines. Um, I've got, first of all, I just had a discussion. I'm not going to tell you with who we're looking at bank behaviors, like a massive study um, that instead of looking at the, I guess, the client side of things, the customers and what, and what businesses are doing with banking, this is a huge look at um, how banks are, you know, have been approaching digital transformation and it's specifically what they're doing well, and what they're not doing well, and you know where where they see their their biggest challenges that they've had so far. And it's a pretty interesting take. So I think that's that's something I'm looking forward to. That's interesting, Elijah. What are you working on for next week? You've got several things in the hopper. So next week, the biggest thing, I, in my opinion, that I'm working on. Uh, so Tomenos, the uh, you know, banking platform or banking software provider, uh, they extended their partnership with Microsoft Azure. They already had a partnership or collaboration, but they're extending it. A good example of that would be in their banking cloud, the Tomenos Banking Cloud. Uh, that kind of provides, uh, you know, collaborating financial institutions with what they call an innovation sandbox, allowing them to sort of customize both their backend and front-end experience, helping improve, the, uh, helping improve customer experience as well. Well, Microsoft Azure, they've extended their collaboration. So it's just going to be that much deeper in terms of being cloud native and, and, and being customizable for their clients. Um, but there are some other insights that I was able to glean from this. I spoke to uh, Andrew Reeves, who is the head of cloud over there. And we spoke about uh, how automation has impacted their ESG strategy. Uh, and they are looking to uh, cut their emissions by over 46%. By 2030. And of course, they'll be using in-house and external automation to accomplish that. And we also spoke about open banking, uh, which is kind of seen as a buzzword in some circles. But Reeves and Mr. You know, Mr. Reeves was quick to point out that in Europe, it is most definitely not a buzzword. It is something that pretty much every sort of hip bank and cloud provider and what have you ascribes to because it helps break down barriers and it helps provide you know, for customers, clients, vendors, and financial institutions alike, that bigger pool of data to access to enhance the experience uh, for everybody. So that was super exciting. And I think it's awesome that we can glean so much insight from a simple, you know, collaborative uh, announcement like that. Yeah. And yesterday, Tacit Pay, this is what I'm digging into, announced that it has provided a blockchain-based digital payment for banks, B2B clients. And it's a network that went live yesterday with 200, with more than 100 banks, sorry. Um, so I'll be looking more at that and what that, that, how that works and who's involved in that. Thank you so much for joining us for the weekly wrap on The Buzz. Don't forget to attend our Bank Automation Summit March 1st through 2nd in Charlotte, North Carolina. You can learn more about that at bankautomationsummit.com. 
For more podcast content, check out bankautomationnews.com and search The Buzz from Bank Automation News on iTunes and Spotify. Thank you. Thank you.